Let's turn in our Bibles together to the book of Mark, chapter 14. This morning, we will consider verses 32 through 36. Mark 14, 32 through 36. While you turn there, let me ask you, how do you think Jesus would advise you to pray in the kinds of situations that have you hanging by a thread with nervous anticipation? Let me give you some examples. Suppose that you've just interviewed for a job that you desperately want or desperately need and you're waiting to hear back. How do you suppose Jesus would advise you to pray? Of course he would advise you to pray. But how? How would he have you pray? How about this? How would he advise you to pray as you submit the final application for a much needed apartment? Or as you, as you submit the, the paperwork for a very important insurance claim? How do you suppose Jesus would advise you to pray in those moments? How do you suppose, or how would you advise me in this moment when I've been diagnosed with cancer? And if you're new here this morning, I'm sorry to drop that ton of bricks on you. How would you advise me to pray after you have been diagnosed with a life-threatening illness you never thought you would have? How would you advise? How would Jesus, how would Jesus, if he were here, how would he tell each of us, pray like this? I know that you're desperate. I know that you're hanging by a thread. I know this situation is intense. I know that the outcome is uncertain. I know that there's a lot of unknowns. Here's how I would have you pray. Thanks be to God, we don't have to speculate on this. In Mark 14, 32 through 36, Jesus doesn't just tell us how to pray in the desperate situations of life. He shows us himself. He shows us how we are to pray. Now, before I read this, this amazing passage, it would help if we would, for just a moment, brush up on our Christology. You know what Christology is? Christology is the study of, the understanding of who Christ is and what he has done the person and nature of Christ. And an accurate understanding of the nature of Christ is important as we prepare to examine this passage, and I'll explain why. All right, so Christology, here we go. Jesus Christ is one person with two natures. He is 100% God and 100% man. We can't fully grasp the magnificence of this doctrine, of this reality, but theologians refer to it as the hypostatic union of Christ. At the incarnation, when Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, God the Son, who had already existed forever with the Father and the Holy Spirit, God the Son took upon himself a human nature at the incarnation. When God the Son came to earth in the flesh and he was given the name Jesus, he did not stop being fully God, but he became fully man. In the books of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, in these accounts of his earthly life and ministry, we see 
his two natures in various ways and at various times. For instance, when Jesus walks on water, when he calms the storm, when he tells people, your sins are forgiven, when he rises from the dead, only God can do those things. Only God can do those things. And therefore, in those passages, in those accounts of his life, we see his divine nature on display. But in our passage this morning that we're about to read, Mark 14, 32 through 36, we're going to see quite a bit of Jesus' human nature on display. We're going to see him emptied of nearly all his physical strength in a way that is uniquely human. God is never emptied of strength. But in Jesus' human nature, we're about to see him emptied of his human strength. We're going to see him burdened in a way that is emphatically human. We're going to see him agonize in a way. God doesn't agonize the way that we're about to see Jesus. Jesus is fully God. He is also fully man. And it's his human nature that is going to sing in this passage it's his human nature that emphatically sings to us because it's relatable. As we come to Mark 14, 32 through 36, we need to know that Jesus has not stopped being fully God. He never will. In this passage, Jesus is fully God. And yet here, we're also gonna see him as fully man. It's around midnight in this passage, it's around midnight, Mount of Olives, approximately nine hours before Jesus is to be crucified. And the catastrophic weight of his impending crucifixion is pressing him to the edge of crisis. Like mental, physical, emotional spiritual crisis it's not so much the physical pain that he's about to endure on the cross it's not that the Romans were experts at bloody executions it's not that that might have been part of that in his humanity but that's not the weight that Jesus what, 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 what's, what, what's happening here is that Jesus is about to take upon himself all the sins of all God's people throughout all of time. All the sins of every one of God's people for every moment since the Garden of Eden and beyond, he's about to take it upon himself. He's about to take upon himself every murderous and vile and selfishly twisted act of rebellion that had ever been committed or would ever be committed by God's people. And then, after taking those things upon himself as if he had personally committed all of those crimes against God, then he's going to serve the punishment that is rightly deserved for those crimes. He's going to be crushed. The wrath of holy God is going to be uncorked, loosed upon him with fury and hatred for sin. 
Jesus is about to lay himself down in the literal crosshairs of divine judgment. He's going to bear every last drop of God's wrath against those sins that would have kept us apart from God forever. He's going to fulfill, he's going to satisfy the wrath of it forever so that there cannot ever be one more drop of condemnation for any of God's people. There can't be. He's going to empty God's condemnation against God's people for their sins and absolve us from our guilt. That's what Jesus, talk about, talk about weight. Talk about, I get stressed and I feel on the brink of crisis. He's about to wear everything that God's people had ever done and he's gonna be punished for it. And so Father, please help us to understand as best we can, now we pray, the gravity of this moment of which we're about to read. Please bring our hearts to humble repentance and to bring our hearts, Lord, please bring our hearts to exult in the love that is displayed for us here by Christ. The love that you have shown for us by sending Christ. And please teach us in this passage how we might pray, because that's what Jesus, it's one of the things we see in this passage is how we, in our much lesser moments of desperation, how we might pray. Please teach us how, how we might pray using this passage and help us to exult in the love that we see on display for us in Christ here in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read Mark 14, 32 through 36. And they, Jesus and his disciples, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. the Gethsemane prayer. If Jesus prayed this prayer in the midst of the most intensely desperate situation any human being would ever face, then I think it's okay for you and I to pray this prayer in the midst of our own much lesser but personally great desperations, situations. If Jesus prayed this prayer in the greatest moment of human desperation, 
then I think it's highly appropriate you and I learn to pray it in our, in our moments of desperation. And we're all facing something. We are all. You are desperate about something. Your feet are being held to the fire on something. The stakes are high on something. You're hopeful for something. I think it's entirely fitting that we learn to pray this prayer. When you and I are wanting to and waiting to hear back about that job we desperately want. When you and I have submitted the application for much needed housing or paperwork on an insurance claim. When you and I are diagnosed with, with an illness we never thought we, have, we would have or, or ever desired to have. The Gethsemane prayer gives us a template for how we might pray. Abba, Father, Jesus says. Abba, Papa, (laughs) Father, all things are possible for you. After all, you hold the world in your hands. You determine the end from the beginning and everything in between. And no one and nothing can thwart your plan. All things are not possible for human beings, but all things are possible for you. And so I ask that you would intervene on my behalf. These are Jesus' words. That you would remove this cup. That you would reverse, that you would enable, that you would heal. Insert what we will would ask that you, Father, would intervene on my behalf. And I ask that you would alter my situation. I ask it. And, uh, and, and, while, and while I ask this, while I ask this of you, Father, I come back to this, for you are holiest of fathers and altogether worthy and wonderful. Not what I will but what you will. Not what I want, but what you want. Not according to my limited human perspective, but according to your unlimited divine perspective. That's what I want. I want this situation to change And yet, at the same time, I want to submit to your will. Notice that in this prayer, Jesus entreats his heavenly father and he entrusts himself to his heavenly father. Notice that he solicits and surrenders. Notice that he requests and relinquishes to the human mind these two postures cannot go together they can't and even to some of us who have been regenerated made new born again by the holy spirit given new minds minds of christ even for us it's still hard to look at this and go what these two things seem impossible 
to embrace together, to ask God for something specific, and yet to surrender to God for his goodwill. But as God's people, as believer followers of Jesus, we can and must hold these things together, for this is how God wants us to pray in all our desperate situations. This is how God wants us to pray. This is how Jesus would advise us to pray, would advise you to pray, whatever it is that's coming to your, whatever the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind. There's a scenario, a situation you're facing now. It's coming to your mind. This is how Jesus would advise you to pray. Number one, God wants us to ask of him. And number two, God wants us to entrust ourselves to him at the same time. These are not paradoxical. These are not contradictory. These dance together. Number one, God wants us to ask of him. In the Lawson house, it is my joy. It's sometimes an inconvenience, but it is always my joy when, when one of my kids asks me to do for them what they cannot do for themselves, Right? Dad, I, I can't reach it. Will you, will, you, will you get it for me? Dad, I can't fix it. Will, will, you, will you please help me to fix this? Dad, there's an issue here. <laughs> this happens all the time. There's an issue here between me and this other one right here. Will you please help us? <laughs> help us, right? It is my joy. And if you're a physical bodily parent, like if you have your own biological kids or even if you're a spiritual parent, it is our joy when our kids come to us to ask us to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. And so it is a million times over with our Heavenly Father when we ask Him to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. He's honored in it. He delights in it. Just in our asking. Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, 11, if you... You guys, you out there, not me, because he's about to talk about sinners. No, right? <laughs> no, if you, if you who are in and of yourself, if you're evil, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children when they ask, how much more does your heavenly father delight in giving good gifts to his children who ask him? That's Jesus' reasoning. Telling us, ask God. Go to God and ask God for things. Go to him. What you can't do for yourself, ask him to do. It's okay and it honors him. Let your requests be made known to God, Paul says in Philippians 4, 6. Let them be made known. Don't, don't hold them off here. Don't, don't think you're inconveniencing the Lord, we're supposed to be persistent widows who just knock on the door constantly, right? Let him know. Let him know what is on your heart, what is on your mind. Father, heal me. Help me. Give me your grace, your strength. Give me your hope. Help me. Heal me, make me whole, cleanse my body from sickness and cleanse my spirit from lingering sinfulness. Clean it all while you're at it. 
because the prayers of the righteous, they have a precious place in God's ear. The righteous are made righteous not because of anything they have done, but because of what Jesus has done. And with a mustard seed faith, they simply say, I'm unrighteous and I want to be made righteous by he who makes sinners righteous. I receive it and I repent from my sin. You're righteous in that moment. That's righteousness imputed to you. And now your prayers have a very special place in the ear of God. He wants to hear. The prayers of the righteous availeth much. They're powerful. Hallelujah. He wants to hear from us. When we go to our Heavenly Father in prayer, and when we ask Him to do what we cannot do, to remove, to reverse, to enable, to empower, to heal, our very asking Him brings Him honor. It's an act of faith. For anyone who would draw near must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Our very asking him brings him honor. It shows that we depend upon him and that we trust him. That we trust him. Point number one, God wants us to ask of him. Point number two, God wants us to entrust ourselves to him at the very same time. These are not mutually exclusive. These are dance partners. In Hebrews chapter one, or no, Hebrews, we've been in that book for too long because uh, it's Ephesians chapter one. In Ephesians one, verse 11, in Romans chapter eight, verse 28, we're told very similar things that God, and this is above our pay grade to fully understand that God, he is working all things, all circumstances, all situations, all scenarios, all outcomes. He is working all things according to the counsel of his will. And he is doing so for the good of those, for the building up of those, for the heart's joy of those who belong to him through mustard seed faith in Christ. If you belong to God through mustard seed faith in Christ of, oh, I believe you're the risen son of God. Forgive me for my sin and bring me into everlasting reconciled life with you forever. If that's you, then everything, I mean everything, everything is being worked proactively in your life, even the ugly circumstances, somehow, some way, some for your good, for your upbuilding, for your heart's joy, for your deepened dependence upon God, all things. And we can know, I love Romans 8.32. So the father, he didn't spare his own son in order to secure us as his people. And if he was willing to send his only begotten son as a sacrifice on the cross to die and to rise that we would be adopted as his own. If the father was able to or willing to do all of that to sacrifice his own son on our behalf, for us, to secure us, how much more, now that we are his adopted children, how much more will he graciously give us everything that is best for us? He's gonna give us what's 
he's going to give to us what's best for us. And it doesn't seem like it. It doesn't. In the Lawson house, it's my joy when one of my kids, of course, asks me to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. It's also my joy when they trust me. No, Bray, you can't play Fortnite with your friends. You can't play this, that, or the other. You can't watch that. We don't want that going into your mind. Trust me. Listen to me. I am looking after the good of your heart and the shaping of your character. The answer is no, and it hurts, but know that it's a no because I love you and I'm, I see something bigger than you do. And so it is a million times more for our Heavenly Father. So it is His joy when we entrust ourselves to him, we say, you know what? From down here, my perspective is pretty limited. There is only good news in that direction, but from way, way up there, oh goodness, you are so much grander. You are so much higher. You are so much wiser than I can even fathom. Guess what? You know what? You know what? I'm gonna believe that from your vantage point, you see a little bit more than I do. I'm going to trust you in this. And so if you're saying no to this, okay, okay. So I don't get that job, okay. So that apartment falls out from under, okay. So my health declines, okay. I'm trusting you. I don't know what else to do right now. Second Chronicles 20, the prayer of King Jehoshaphat, we don't know what to do right now, but our eyes are on you. And because our eyes are on you, we have a limited perspective, but when our eyes are on you, you have, you have the meta perspective over all things and all times. And I trust that. I trust that. And I entrust myself to that. Before you and I will be able to pray the second half of the Gethsemane prayer, your will be done. Before you and I are able to pray that with any degree of sincerity, we might need to ask God to remind us that his will, that his plan, that his timing, that his outcome is more desirable than the most desirable thing we can conceive in our minds. We might need to remind ourselves that, that your will, Lord, is more desirable I love the way that the late Pastor Tim Keller says it. He says that God will only ever give you what you would be asking for if you knew everything he knew. So if I only had eyes to see what he sees, if I personally only had eyes to see all of the salvific ways that doctors and nurses and children would be impacted and neighbors would see the power of God. If I only had eyes to see all the ways that he is working in my diagnosis, I would ask him for my diagnosis if I could see what he's doing. But I can't see what he's doing and so therefore I entrust myself to him. 
I entrust myself to him. From my perspective, I can't fathom how this is turning for good. This is working for good. But you don't have my perspective, do you? I believe that. And I'm holding on to that. God will only ever give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knew. More desirable than our most desired outcome is God's perfect and sovereign will. And he will have it. And we can hold on to, and we should, time and time again, as we surrender, as we entrust ourselves in prayer to the will of God, no matter whatever circumstance it is that we're facing, while we do that, we need to have at the forefront of our mind, Romans 8, 32, if God, if the one we're praying to was willing to give up his own son to secure us as his own, he's, he's willing to give us everything that's best for us. He is, and he's going to. And we gotta be careful with one another, right? Um, we got to be careful with one another that like in the cafe after this gathering, you know, that I don't hear from you the struggle that you're going through and I immediately just get out a big old racket and whack, God's in control, just trust him. That's very unfeeling. To run right to God's sovereignty, as true as it is, can be very unfeeling and uncaring in the moment when what you really should do and what I should do is listen and weep. I'm sorry that you're going through that. I don't know what he's doing. Our eyes are on him. Let me, let me hug you and pray with you and listen to you. I think that the church would be benefited so greatly if, in the one hand, we had really sharp theology that if a blade of grass bends in the wind, it's because God ordained it to do so. I believe that. And at the same time, I cannot possibly fathom how high and lofty and wonderful all his ways are. I don't understand. And so therefore, I'm willing, and we should be, to write to sit with one another in the pain. Okay, so God is ordaining things. We have no idea how or why, but guess what? Let's sit together. Let's hold hands. Let's cry, and let's just simply be together in this. That if Christ was raised from the dead, and last I checked, he was. Everything is gonna be okay. Everything is gonna be okay. If Christ really was raised from the dead, then our every tear will be wiped away from our faces. And levels of glory that we cannot even concoct if we try are going to be unveiled to us very soon. And in resurrected bodily glory, Touchable, tasteable, huggable, holdable, bodily resurrected glory. Soon enough, we'll all be reunited on the other side of eternity, eternity, I should say. Tears wiped away, and we're going to look back on the tales of our time on earth in the fallen era. And we're going to go, wow, wow. I don't regret any of those afflictions that that I was faced with because those afflictions, they caused me to see what really matters most. They caused me to see he who really matters most and to savor him and to hold on to him all the more.
And so what we are seeing here in the Garden of Gethsemane, there are so many more things that we could unpack from this. But I felt, well, for myself, I needed to preach this sermon. For myself, I needed to preach this sermon. What we see is that God wants us, our Father wants us to ask of him. He wants us to. So what is bubbling up in your heart and mind right now, ask him for it. And at the same time, submit to this, that he who is much wiser than you, who holds the stars in their places, who ensures that the oceans, they only stay right here. They don't go any further. Who sees that the lightning bolts, they go here, 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 here. Who sees that the seasons turn when they do and that the sun rises and sets when it does. The, the God who, is, who has orchestrated all of those things, He's really good and wonderful, and he's worthy to be entrusted. We can entrust us, ourselves to him. We can entrust ourselves to him knowing that he is good and that he is in the business. The empty tomb says this. He's in the business of bringing beauty from ashes. That's what he's in the business of. And so if you do not have this confident hope of Christ, our sure and steady anchor, that is the yes and amen to all of these things that I'm saying, if that is not you, if you're in a circumstance where you are absolutely overwhelmed, that's a good thing. I was just talking with my brother Warren Dean this week, and he's like, you know what, Chris, I, I absolutely hate it when, when, when people say, you know, that God won't give us more than we can possibly handle in and of our own strength, because that's exactly, what, he is going to give us more than we can handle because he wants us to be down at the bottom and to reach out for Jesus. And if that is you, if, if you, now I'm starting to jumble all my stories everywhere. If that is you, if you're facing a circumstance and you feel absolutely hopeless, utterly directionless, reach out to Jesus with mustard seed faith and say, I don't understand what's going on, but I want you. And I want all of your redemptive promises in your life, death, and resurrection. Please make me yours and you be mine and give me the satisfaction and assurance of your presence in my life. I would urge you to do that. And I'll land the plane now. I'll just, I'll land the plane. Papa, Father, all things are possible for you. You hold the world in your hands and you determine the end from the beginning. All things are not possible for us, Lord, but they are possible for you. This we pray. Father, we ask that in our areas of struggle that you would intervene on our behalf that you would remove, reverse, enable, and heal. We ask that you would intervene and that you would alter our very unpleasant situations. And while we ask this of you, we ask that you by your spirit would lead us back to this. Not what we will, but what you will. Not what we want, but what you want. Because we're basing that not according to our limited human perspectives, but according to your divine and perfect perspective, we want to entrust ourselves to you and help us to do so more and more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.